0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Unofficial Partner, the Sports Business Podcast. I'm Richard Gillis. Crypto.com has been one of the biggest spenders in the sports sponsorship market over the last three years, putting its brand to properties including FIFA World Cup, Formula One and the Aston Martin team, UFC, the Australia Football League and the naming rights of the Staples Centre in Los Angeles, among many others. Every major sports property in the world rushed to do deals into a category of companies willing to pay high fees in return for global brand awareness and brand trust. Then came the FTX scandal, which rocked not just the crypto and Web3 sectors, but also the sports world, which sought reassurance as to whether they were going to get paid. It's this roller coaster we explore in this podcast with our guest, Crypto.com's head of sponsorship, Alex Shapiro whose CV also features Visa and ESPN. The other voices you'll hear are our by-side regular co-hosts, Sally Hancock and Sean Watling. This week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Turnstile. Do you know what your sponsorship is really worth? Now you can stop guessing and start knowing with Turnstile's fair market sponsorship valuations. Turnstile uses real market rates to quantify the value of every single sponsorship right within a deal. It looks beyond the traditional media metrics to calculate the value of the exposure, intellectual property and direct benefits. Turnstile delivers a recommended transaction price that's comprehensive, accurate and defensible. So don't pay too much. Don't leave money on the table. Know the fair market price and buy and sell with confidence. Get in touch at (laughs) turnstilegroup.com. Thanks for being
1: here. Thank you, guys. It's, uh, it's a pleasure being here. And whereabouts are you? You're in Miami. I I'm in Mexico City. But yeah, I, I spend my time between Miami and Mexico nowadays. You should tell
0: us what your job is. What do you do all day?
1: So I head up sponsorships for Crypto.com. So my day goes around talking with, with my team, which, you know, funny enough, the company is it's headquartered in Singapore. But it's remote first, I would call it. So I have colleagues anywhere, everywhere. My team is based, so I'm in the U.S. So I'm uh, across Europe, and then I spend so I spend a bunch of my time talking with them, a bunch of my time talking with our partners, and then you know the rest. Again, talking with uh, the world of sport and and also with the company, right? Like with the different partners business units for planning purposes and and activation over over uh, rights. And How
2: many people are in your team actually, Alex?
1: So my team today we are. We are a team of five, and then, well, the company, you know, numbers, the exact number, I don't know, to be very honest. It's always changing. I would say it's close to 1,500, 2,000 people. What I'd love you to
0: do is just explain what Crypto.com is. What does the business fundamentally do?
1: For sure. So we are, we are the world's leading cryptocurrency platform. Basically, we are we are a place where people come to buy or sell, discover cryptocurrencies. So whether they come in the app, which is you know the the most i would say like user friendly for people that are new to the world and and they just want to get stuff simple and quick so that that happens in the app and then we also have the exchange which allows you to have certain more advanced features for trading and we just announced some derivative features as well and then we also have an NFT marketplace as part of the company we have as well Kronos blockchain so it, it is it is blockchain where where we have own and independent projects are built on blockchain and the company also has like a small venture capital group that invests in future crypto projects as well.
0: And so what is the, the marketing need? If we step, we'll get into the sort of sport and sponsorship questions, but from the perspective of the the bigger thing about the brand and the company in the, you know, that exists in the world, what is the big objective?
1: Well, we like big mission is like to get crypto in every in every person, right? Like to get a to to bring as many to mainstream crypto and bring as many people in, right? So our objective is, from a marketing perspective, has been brand awareness, right? Therefore, like these or, or or big investment sponsorships, because we want to to bring the eyes to, to to our brand in as many places, in as many areas as possible, right? So at the moment of oh, for sure is brand awareness, getting people familiar with it, whether. They are already trading or investing crypto, or whether they're curious. For whenever they're ready to get in, they get familiar with a brand that they can trust and they can some sort of feel familiar with. And there's a
0: what does sponsorship do for you in that case? And where does it sit within that sort of broader marketing function?
1: Well, for us, it sits at the core, right? We've, I mean, if we if we go back to say 2021, because nowadays you see a crypto brand everywhere, either us or or just like the industry, right? But if we take if we take some steps back, when when we started sponsoring Aston Martin F1 back in 2000 and you know the beginning of 21, a little bit before that, and that, that was before my time. To be very honest, you know, you probably that was the first crypto crypto sponsorship there for this new wave of of exchanges, right? And it was kind of uncommon, right? So then, as we started building the brand and building the partnerships with these great brands, then I would say for for us, it it, it sounded a, a really nice message, like listen. The biggest brands and the bigger partners in the world are trusting us, so do you right and I think that's been for me like one of the definitely a big a big home run how the American good college from our leadership to bet on sport on sports sponsorships to uh to develop and grow. Or audience and a user base right so back then in early 2021 we announced that our user base was was around three million and if we go back to the end of 2022 the number we reported or the company we put out there was 80 million and again whether we can credit or not all of that to the sponsorships as a marketing strategy to to put a brand out there could be also obviously you need to have especially in this space a great product a great customer service and for sure a very compliant and diligent and responsible company but the sum of all of this it made like gave us a great outcome i don't trade in crypto i'm a bit scared of it
0: i'm a classic sort of someone of my age i hear all the stories i hear the word and then i see it at the world cup and it's present there and i think there's a oh the company you keep there's an aspect of that in this story i think but there's also So between that 3 million and 80 million, how many people like me are in that group? I'm just trying to sort of get an idea for the audience of this and the match between the sort of core, that 3 million and where those other people came from.
1: So people, people that were not in crypto and then job not sure if I understood your question, sorry.
0: Was the FIFA deal, for example, which I noticed, is there a normalizing impact? Is it bringing in a mainstream audience onto your platform?
1: Right. Yes. Yes. So I would say the crypto audience, you can say, it's divided into right, it's like two big groups. So you have the group of people who who are already in the the early adopters, or people who already are starting to see it as an asset class and they're investing and in trading. And for us, it just obviously as you know, we have. One of the best exchanges and the, the best platforms, uh, and 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 for them, it's just obviously, you know, if you like to 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 ride a car, you drive uh, the best car out there. So that, that that's us. Awesome. And then for people who are, you know, have never have never er, like owned a coin or, or or anything, but they are interested, maybe maybe they see us as a way of you know going to crypto.com university and start learning about it. You know, like maybe I'm scared of it. And then you, I start getting familiar with it. So whenever I'm ready, okay, I, I sign up, I open my account. And then maybe I just buy, you know, one of, wh- what, one of the, the coins we have listed there and, 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 and that's it. But there's maybe people get more familiar and then they start like making other things like staking or like buying NFTs or you name it. So, so I think like, a, like an event like, like the FIFA World Cup, you cannot think of a bigger sponsor, a sponsorship or sports event out there with the amount of eyeballs that it gives you than the World Cup. And I think when you, when you think about, okay, I want to I be in a platform that allows me to to go as wide as possible, to reach as many people as, as, as I can. I don't think there's another property out there like the World Cup. And from a sponsorship's perspective, in our industry, in terms of commercial rights, they give you a very nice protection, if you like, of the territory for your brand to shine in the biggest stage.
3: Alex, Sean here. It's kind of, it feels a little bit opaque, almost like the route to market in a sense that, you know, you have a big platform through Formula One, the 76ers, a lot of big partnerships. Do you have any kind of model in terms of how you think that's going to relate to conversion? Or is it at this moment just a question of really building awareness for the business and hoping that the kind of rising tide of cryptocurrency trading will then benefit you disproportionately
1: yeah so i mean when we look back when our sponsorship strategy really kicked off it was about obviously going after the biggest properties out there so it was about being events that are global there are global like crypto have no boundaries obviously that don't cannibalize with one each other so i would say the majority of it was like Global ones. And then obviously with some local relevancy, right? Like if you think about 76ers, for example, or in Australia, where we have AFL and several AFL teams, I would say like it's a combination between the global, like global properties and then also with local relevance. And then if we go like a step forward, like in terms of the details, then yeah, maybe, maybe you can say, if you did F1, why didn't you do, I don't know, I'm going to just say like, rugby or uh, cricket or others and, it's, and, and then it comes down to okay well what assets do I need I need to have fewer presence I need to have access to content I need to have several things that will allow us to activate as we see fit to then for sure get get those that are ready coming up in the funnel to get them on board and activated and uh, activate them with the, with the assets we get and so on
3: a lot of businesses start with sponsorship and in terms of building awareness and then very quickly they realize that they have further needs and, and that is around, you know, kind of consideration, preference, trial, et cetera. Do you, are you kind of moving to that stage already? And do you have any plans on the horizon around how you're going to use the fast reach you've got to engage
1: consumers actually with the platform more directly? Yeah. I mean, I think it's something in terms of like funnel we've, we've been doing, right? Like, so obviously you have a lot of people seeing you and when they're ready, to go into the space so again, we we know it's early days, still early days for crypto. But when they're ready and they they join, there's ways in which, as a digital company, we can obviously start bring them closer. Whether they're interested in collecting NFTs, or they're interested in the app or in the exchange, you know, we have different products. So maybe they already they were interested in us because they wanted to get a the crypto.com Visa card, for example. And then okay, they have the Visa card, and then maybe they want to start, you know, they haven't activated it or they haven't traded. Then Obviously, with the preferences and what they like and what they don't, they might be more willing to win a pair of F1 tickets to the Crypto.com Miami F1 Grand Prix. So this is something we've been doing. What's interesting in our business is, I'll say it's a conglomerate of, of business units, right? So there are different ways in which we go and activate our rights with different groups.
2: So Alex, yeah, so you've got a really wide-ranging portfolio, as as we know. How do you make the decisions and the rationale behind those those sponsorships? Are you proactive in that space or are you occasionally reactive as well with opportunities that come
1: your way? I think it's an interesting. I think I think it's both. Back in 2021, it was a wild, wild west in okay. terms of bull market, crypto companies, Web3 companies, whatever company just popping out of anywhere. And then I would say it's a combination of an industry that that then went like vertical. Obviously post pandemic. So people coming back to stadiums and then properties within financial needs. It was like the combination of the perfect storm. So for us, we were, we were very clear on what we wanted to do. But at the same time, there were others that were clear of what they wanted to do. And then it's like the commercial nature of the business, right? So sometimes, you know, you would go and say, Hey, I'm interested in X property. And you start talking to the team and then they were like, fine, give us some time, whatever. And then they, they would go out and hit the market because it was the first time ever they, you know, a crypto company or a crypto exchange company would come out for the rights. And so they they didn't know what the value of the industry was. Like It's not like, you know, I'm Heineken or I'm whatever, Corona in my case, as a Mexican and I want to sponsor. They know what's the value of the beer category or soft drink or beverage, or whatever. But here, they very few had a clue. So then they went to the market and see okay, what's the value there? And obviously the offers, the value were, you know, the desire for for brands to get in because like every sponsorship is a way for being more legitimate, be more in, in the main stage and, and then be able to compete with the big guy. So people were offering crazy crazy amount of money. And then, so you go in for property A with this is a nice offer. And then they would come back and say, listen, I have 10 people more interested than you. and And then your whole thing about like, confidentiality and whatever like then the 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 word is out there so then the market you know hears there's a city with two teams right like you could say i mean there's many places like events or whatever properties with two or three big rivals so the other rival hears about it and then they go and reach out to your competitor your competitor gets in and then they go out and see the market and you can see how how this can escalate like crazy so back then it was it was like that so we were very proactive, where clearly what we wanted. We sometimes we couldn't close a deal. And we were trying to say no because for whatever reason. But then we were also approached by opportunities like, hey, like XYZ competitor are trying to do this. And then you're just trying to guess games like what is each of them trying to do, right? You know, we got F1. So or you comp- yeah, what's the next move or competitors that couldn't weren't able to get F1? Are they gonna go for teams? Which teams? If they go for teams, how are we going to protect our rights and so on? So, I mean, it was fascinating as, as somebody that loves this industry, but honestly, it was like nonstop, nonstop. Because obviously, say you close, you know, F1, it's easiest. We close F1. Then you have all of the teams coming out to you. Oh, guys, we have Astro Martin. We're very happy with them. Cool. Then you have all of the media. Then you have all of the influencers. Then you have all of the former drivers or upcoming drivers, F2 or 3. Oh, Do you want to do NASCAR? Do you want to do you know, MotoGP, do you want to do a whatever, like drone racing? And then it gets crazy. <laughs>
2: no, I understand that. And and in, interestingly, when, you, when you're reviewing and looking at these opportunities, how to what extent do you segment the audience? Is there a segmentation of audience for crypto.com? And does your strategy follow that?
1: I think there is. I would say, yeah, there is. <laughs> My job is working with the different business units in the organization, right? So it's like, Hey, here's a sponsorship assets. What are your objectives? What are your goals? And how can we make a one plus one is with them from people who are crypto enthusiasts? Obviously, if they're in crypto, for example, what's their volume of trading or the net worth or you name it? Because like maybe you and I who are newbies say, you know, what we want from the company is very, is very different from somebody who is trading in hundreds of millions. Alex,
3: can I ask you a kind of a personal question? Because you, you had a, you know, quite a career at Visa and. And I would I mean it doesn't say anything about you, but I categorise Visa as quite a conservative company. How <laughs> raised eyebrow. Did do you how did you feel about kind of the the, the land grab for, for rights that was going on amongst the, you know, crypto industry and sector? And how did you did you feel comfortable with that? I mean you've just talked about how you approached it, but but I'm just wondering yeah. if there's kind of any underlying sense of kind of anxiety or or nervousness about that because you get swept up in it, as you just described.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, if we talk about visa, I know some of my visa colleagues are fans of your podcast, but I would say they've been doing, if I'm not mistaken, like Olympics since 1986, NFL since probably 1990, FIFA since 2007, and then we we did uh, with uh, with Adrian and Steve. They we did uh, the women's uh, USF partnership in 2017, I think, and that's it. So pretty stable. And if you look what MasterCard's been doing. So again, pretty much like a, I wouldn't say gentleman's agreement, but like it's two big competitors and they both have their playing fields. And Amex, they do have their own playing field as well. And it's pretty normal. But back in 2021, like, you know, we had Aston Martin. We had a small deal with the international hockey finals. And we had a deal with the Montreal Canadiens in Crypto.com as well. And a small deal for the Coppa Italia final with Serie A. That was it. And then there, there are so few, I would call it, of the, the big global properties available. There's only one F1. There's only one UFC. There's only one, you know, imagine the Crypto Comarina one. So it, it, was, it, was, it was a wild west. Um, and he was quite, quite anxious because it was all about, as you say, land grabbing, right? Like I'm negotiating, you know, at some point we were like, as with everything, reviewing clubs, reviewing leagues, reviewing everything. And then as a, as a sports strategist, okay, do I want to go to the league route? Like, do I want to own all of the leagues? Do I want to lo- own all of the big teams, like across every? Like, say, you think about Emirates or or what Qatar Airways are doing, mm-hmm. pretty much the same. I'm, I'm I'm the best player in the in my industry, and I want to land grab. Mm-hmm. But but at some point, it gets with the escalation of of obviously prices as as it was because like there was like an over demand. It was he was very I think in the industry was it was anxious. I I was very anxious because like you're you're managing I don't know how many conversations at the same time. You have a lot of pressure from management because like if you don't close a deal, it's not like oh, we missed sponsorship A, let's go for a sponsorship B. This is, you know, putting your like I mean, go back to F1 or UFC, putting your brand out there. There's only one UFC, there's only one World Cup. Because it's not only about us having the the financial power like to pay a sponsorship, but it's also who is on the other side trusting you, you know, at some point the, the conversation flips and it's no it's no Always. longer like, oh, we're interested in your property. Okay, let's negotiate the rights. It flips very quickly. And it's like, why do I want to partner up dot com? Like, you know, why are you best on the other, assuming everybody's paying the same? And then it's all about, okay, how is our executive team, or who, who they are, or values, where we want to go, like or compliance in this. Why you need to trust us and not the other one? And that's when we become like almost like the commercial agents. We are selling ourselves, even though we need to pay, Mm -hmm. and we get no commission. (laughs) Yes. What
0: was the atmosphere around uh, uh, running into the the World Cup? You obviously had the FTX sort of crash and scandal. Talk us through that. What was the? Has that changed things, or is that that moment? What was the? What was the atmosphere like?
1: Well, I would say like from a from a personal and professional point of view, right, I, I would say it was frightening because after, you know, being working the company year, almost a year and a half and it, it's a new industry and, and then you, you get like second, not second thoughts on the industry, but, but it, it's frightening to see like the industry is just collapsing. You have like the Luna collapse and then like all of these like Halo effect and then FTX and, and it's not nice to wake up every morning and see another crypto company disappearing or or, or Web3 or NFT and there or like financial. It's, it's not nice. Gives you a lot of anxiety, to be honest. And again, like we all know who we work for and why we trust our career with Crypt.com. And I I have never doubted on on the trust I have for this company and how well things are done here and, and, and the, the legality and how I would say like kosher it is. No doubt. But it's just like the the environment was very, you know, everybody you know, everywhere you read it was very aggressive. It was it was very frightening, to be honest. To be in this industry and people just like in LinkedIn, hey. You know, are you okay? Are you, okay? yes, I'm okay. I'm working. I'm like, thanks for asking. I mean, or whatever. You know, my parents are like, Alex, like, you know, are you sure? Like, you know, you still have it. <laughs> sure. Like, you know, these are as usual, right? Like, you know, people today in Chase Bank, they, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they're fine. Like, regardless of all of these, like, collapses on the banking industry in the U.S. It's fine. They say. But then on the on the professional side, before FTX collapsed, we were very clear with a lot of our partners, like who to trust, who not to trust, and why. And it's, it wasn't about money, and, and I'm not talking FTX here. It wasn't about like, hey, they're offering 2X, 5X more than we. It's about, you know, are, are they going to be able to pay at the end of the, of the cycle or, or the year? That's the important part. Like, it's not about how much money you close. It's actually you, you as a property be able to collect it. So again, from that end, I, I felt like, hey, yeah, we, we, we're still here and we told all of our partners that we're going to be here. That's important. And then the second one is, okay, now, obviously, the, the environment in industries, how do we go back to our clients? At first, I think like Chris, our CEO and on all of the executive team, they were very fast to react and they did a very nice AMA, ask me anything. And then we, pub- we were the first, one of the first companies to publish our proof of reserve so that people can, can actually see what was going on with our company and then and then we started reaching out to to our client to to our partners and building that confidence, thanks to the relationship with with built and then okay we we turn the page now it's World Cup. what do we do, and what better stage in the world you can think of to to be there to the public and say, we're here we you know we we told you we're the number one cryptocurrency exchange. we're here as a brand, you know who to trust and then also in the, in the, um, in the box, in the, in the, in the outside of the field, like to be able to, to network with all of the industry and just, you know, continue to build those relationships. So I think that was, it was a, a critical moment, but mm-hmm. for us at the end was good. Cause then it's not only in the pitch, but then we, we announced interesting projects with top 10 brands in the world, like Bizarre, like Coke, where we did yeah. the, like NFT collections with them. We were very active with a, you know, um. With, with, with certain influencers and, and, and brand ambassadors in and them. And then, you know, we, obviously we, we were there with, with our partners, clients, stakeholders, so it was good.
2: What what would you say that you learned from the experience? If, if, if you were to go into a major, major global sponsorship like that again, what would you do differently the next time, Alex, do you think?
1: Like with FIFA World Cup or with any? Yeah.
2: From, yeah, a, a major global event of that sort of magnitude. What were your learnings and takeaways from that? And in fact, would you do something of that scale again?
1: The quick answer on your last question was, is yes, we do it and we're doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we, you know, that's, that's where a brand like ours belongs. to be honest, yeah. to the biggest stages. In terms of learnings, no in industry is very interesting because like, it's not about, it's not about the event, but also what was the environment on the, on the cycles of the market and the conditions. So, very personal. I would like. I would love to see a World Cup or a sponsorship like that where, where, where we're we're in, in in the middle of a bull market because, like, we were back in the mid. In the things are exploding right and left, and and there's people coming in. There's like things happening and and, and new. Futures and utilities and, and products are being launched. And, and I think that's super exciting and exhausting. I wouldn't change anything with it. I'd love to go back with the visas and the cokes and maybe other brands who, who, can, who can then co- come and join us and then do new things, better things, bigger things, older things. Just picking up on what you said a few minutes ago, Alex, about the networking
3: at the event. Were you referring there to kind of hospitality or were you referring to, as you just mentioned, the ability to engage with global brands like coke and have
1: serious conversations with i would say bold if i take a step back today where business gets done where you get to see and meet people not in big conferences. it's it's in the f1 paddock it's in the ufc like after parties it's in the you know it's in the crypto arena lounge you know that's where where the, the best setups for for networking Nowadays, or closing business, or you name it, and I think the Qatar World Cup was such an amazing event. Not only because the event was amazing, and then obviously I'm a big Messi fan, so it was great to see him win the World Cup. But it was so compacted that every everybody was at the same place every day. So you did not even need to go like to the VIP, like, you know, like you go to to X Hotel and you have, you know, all of the. Whether it's FIFA personnel or you have the sponsor family or the sponsor of the like football associations family, or, you know, maybe you have people from Conmebol or UEFA or other sports, or maybe, you know, or some of our partners wanted to come from, say, I don't know, Serie A or other sports, you see, everybody wants to go there. And then also, you know, agencies and agents from Thailand and Thailand and, you know, presidents, CMOs, CEOs. So it, it was great. Because then it was very easy to, to, to network and, you know, and, and, see people, whereas other World Cups, you know, if you think about Russia, I might be think, okay, I went to whatever Lushniki Stadium, but then XYZ people, they were there in St. Petersburg for the next game. And then you miss them, whether it's here, it was so difficult to miss people. So it was, it was very, very good for that purpose.
0: I've got a question about the, the broader thing about Web3, NFTs and crypto and sports relationship to it and you probably know that we ran a we ran an event at at Arsenal before Christmas and it was almost looking back it was sort of peak nft mania you know people just were desperate for information insight anything it's one of those great moments where you had people in senior decision making positions who knew nothing about this or little about this but they knew they had to learn and so there was a lot of hype, but there was also a lot of really interesting stuff going on. I came away thinking if a fraction of what the sort of evangelists are saying is true, then, you know, this is really exciting. Now it's okay. You've, you're at the other end, of, you know, the hype cycle has, has dissipated. People are now sort of looking back and again, making bad decisions or about what NFTs are, what they, oh, well, that's something we don't need to worry about now. This is something that, you know, it was. It was just, we got caught up in the hype. Where, just give us a perspective from where you're sitting. Where are we in this? And I guess one way of looking at it is when you're looking at football clubs, you know, and they're all rushing into an NFT strategy, do we know what that means now? What should they be doing? What could they be doing? And, and because we all know that sport and sports sponsorship, the market on the sales side is about hitting numbers. It's about doing deals. It's about, you know, whatever. But just take us below that and say, well, what should they be doing in this space?
1: Yeah, no, I think I think like that that the hype the hype was was uh, the escalation of the of, of the hype was great. But I think both in terms of how greedy or how not greedy but like commercially aggressive all of the properties got and like how much money they wanted for those rights, how aggressive their plans were, and then how those how those led to very unsuccessful drops because then the expectations were set very high without, as you say, without maybe some of them really understanding what, what makes a perfect NFT drop or an NFT, NFT collection to really succeed in, in, in the in secondary market. Because what we, you know, I think to answer your question is, you know, I think a successful NFT project, um, not now, but in the future, they really need to understand the audience, right? It's about like creating something that people may want to, to queue up to buy it, it's going to be scarce because if people are going to line up because they want to be part of that group because they're going to get certain access to things, certain, that's what we call utilities, right? They're going to get, just by having that token, that NFT, that membership, they're going to be part of the select club that then we're going to have access to promotions to tickets to experiences to airdrops so by having this nft i'm going to receive an airdrop of another nft or another another thing they need to have somebody building a community that's very important it's it's not only i have the, the the nfts like how are you activating how how we're meeting whether it's like how we are communicating who's maintaining that and that's what makes that's what makes it very successful so i think in the future you know Again, nowadays you can put an NFT for it's not about like putting an NFT. It's going to sell out. No, it's about like the gamification of that. How many do I need to put? What's the price? What's the, what's the, what's the scheme? What's the structure? What's the roadmap of that project? The next NFT wave, I think it's going to be very interesting because both the properties need to get smarter because the users or the collectors are smarter and it's going to be very interesting. And again, like, and then for me, it's very interesting to see the how the NFT then plays a role in terms of other things like, you know, NFT antiquity, you know, how, how the metaverse will have a play there, the evolution of fan tokens. I think those are areas are very interesting as the next evolution of, of as the NFT evolution goes on.
0: What do you think of Socios? Is that as a, as a model? Is that one that you think has moved things forward or is it, is it do you think it's sort of confused the audience within sport?
1: I mean, I think very clear, like Crypto.com has no, has no partnership with, or like partnership or relationship with uh, with Socios, uh, apart of us listing some tokens in our exchange. I think, again, I know some of the guys there. I work very close with Danny back in the day to heads up the uh, some, the partnerships. I mean, I think they, they've done a great job on, on building a massive portfolio. I mean, if you see their portfolio, hmm. it's massive. I think hundred plus team, I, I think it's an interesting concept to have. I see it as a membership. You know, I bought a membership when I was you know, young and I follow my, my team, Club America, we used to buy it a year. This, but the membership, cause you know, I was cool with it in my wallet and it would give me like access to certain things. With the fan tokens, I think there needs to be a continued evolution of, okay, now I'm a, a fan token holder and then what meaningful. Access or benefits do I I have beyond having a five, four, $10 token? Right. Because there's been like interesting cases like Argentina winning the World Cup and then the token just exploding or like Messi going to PSG and then the token going crazy. I think it's fine if you have one token or five tokens, again, you're not going to get rich or you're not going to get poor. The average Joe, like you and me, are not getting there to get rich with a token, are more getting there with a token because like it's been sold as. Now I have a, a say in the club. It's going to be interesting how they de- further develop it beyond just like being able to choose which, I don't know, which song to play in the dressing room or which. I've heard so many ideas, but there's a point where the masses cannot choose who the captain is going to be or yeah. which lineup they're going to play because there's a clear boundary from the sports side. Alex, can I
3: pick up on something which which has come up a number of times on an official partner now? And that is the use of ambassadors in relation to kind of crypto. So you did the ad with Matt Damon for I think for the Super Bowl in twenty two and I think just recently he's been ribbed a little bit you know on social media and he's been talking about it because obviously people who did invest after that they you know quite a few people have lost money. What do you think? You know, where do you stand on that? And and if you did a Matt Damon advert again, how would would you do it differently? Because I think again. the power of somebody like Matt and the power of ambassadors is is amazing because they can personalize a message in a way that. A lot of kind of big sponsorships can't. So they're, they're, you know, mm. incredibly important tool and, and, uh, but, but if you went with Matt again, what do you think
1: would you do differently? Being transparent, that wasn't part of my job. Yeah. But I would say we, from, from what I've heard from the executive team, we, we're very happy with, with the work that Matt did for us. I think it was the first time Matt worked on, with a, with a, you know, on a commercial partnership, like this. And we also worked with with his Water Foundation. I think it was it was it was a very interesting project. I, I don't think we we changed we we changed any of that. It was a big global campaign. We were like present in a lot of markets. We we did a big splash. So, and then we worked with other with with other ambassadors. So I think like we wouldn't do different. I I would say like after what happened with with STX and all of these crypto scams, you know, where a lot of you know, you see Tom Brady and the Kardashians and all of these that. that all of these guys are going to be more careful in, in deciding who they partner up with, which is no different than, you know, than, than, than properties in, in the sports entertainment business. It's all different. Yeah. I would say, me very personal, I would still do it. I think favors the race. And then how does that then sense into what you do, whether it's in the, in the Mad Demon con- context or whether it was with LeBron James or whether it was Joel Embiid or you name it, and then with the different things we've done with USC or Asomarly, you name it. I would say it's it, it's a way of humanizing your message and then just getting to be getting getting familiar with their audiences. I think I think that's that's where that's interesting. It's not rocking science, that's what everybody like that's what our industry does and the advertising world does. For me on you know, a personal level, if you look at say Messi or say Ronaldo, how many brands they work with? You know, at some point where where I was at Visa, I remember we did an exercise with just like you are elbowing with 20 or 30 brands. So then same same Messi comes commercial break or it comes World Cup break, he's going to go first to work with Adidas, then with Uncluster Bush, then with Lays, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then you know, okay, you get two minutes with him once a year and then you need to plan today because he's not going to have time in three years. So, you pay a lot of money but then, you know, you're in Qatar and then you're walking in the streets and you see Messi everywhere, Messi with this brand A with with B, with C, with D, with D, e, with yet. you know, who's going to remember you working with him so then you know, is that the best value of your money for that stage? So I think, again, not, going back to your Matt Damon campaign, that was a brand campaign. It wasn't a sponsorship. So it was very focused on... So I, I think it depends on... Again, I think it's going to... Just to summarize, it's going to be a combination, I think, of one, what do you want? You know, what's, what's the purpose? And then how's the commercialist? How How many partners are working with? Because, like, you know, you're not going to be the, the darling sponsor, right? <laughs> you're going to be in the bottom depends on depending on how much you pay. Yeah, for
3: sure. And I, I guess one... Th- Probably final question for me. Looking forward in five years, where would you see your cryptocom kind of portfolio and your approach to sponsorship?
1: Do you see it evolving over the next, say, five years? I would say the majority of it, or some of it, the majority of it, like they, we have like long-term partnerships. So I don't think five years from now, there's going to be a lot of change in, in some of those. But then again, I think we might see some change. I, Again, it's not nothing we've really discussed. But one thing I know for sure is we'll be, we'll be in the sports territory. Like we, we're not going away. So maybe in five years we can have another, another podcast and see where we are. We'll still be
0: here, don't worry. I've got nothing else to do, Alex, frankly. <laughs> Well, listen, I think that's a good place to finish off, and we also cough now. Alex, we got there in the end. Thank you very much for your thank time. You. Really appreciate it for being so open and, and honest about the whole thing. It's a fascinating space you're in, and and good luck.
1: No, thank you guys. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, and yeah, let's see let's see what tomorrow looks like. It's I think like the last almost two years now with Crypt.com, it's been felt like ten, and it's been like <laughs> a different environment. Which is fascinating, uh, fascinating for anybody of us who love this, uh, this, this industry. So, uh, thanks for, thanks for allowing me to share it with you guys. And uh, yeah, looking forward to hear more. Well, thank Good you very you much. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Alex. It was a really fascinating
2: conversation.
0: Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Unofficial Partner. If you want to explore more entertaining and thought-provoking conversations with the who's who of the global industry head to unofficialpartner.com and go through our podcast archive.